0: a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little Welcome to Intuitive Connections, where spirituality and psychology meet to help you be your best and brightest self. I'm your host, Victoria Shaw, and in each episode, I'll help you to awaken your own inner wisdom, step into your power, and live a more divinely inspired life. You're here to let your inner light shine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Intuitive Connection. Today, I am so excited to welcome back Mark Gober, who was on the show last year and mind is blown because I just realized that since we last spoke, which was just about a year ago, you have written two more books, which is just like mind-blowing, your process. And today, he is here to talk about his most recent book, which is An End to Upside-Down Contact. Did I get that right? You got it. Yay, Mark. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me back. Yeah. And I did not expect two more books to happen like this. I don't, I can't really explain the process. I just become interested in a topic and then I realize there's something to express about it. And then I write.
1: Right. It's amazing. And uh, you didn't expect the first book to happen, right? The first book was kind of a shocker.
2: First one was very surprising. And then people were asking me what I would write about next. And I'd said, I can't even imagine writing another book. I would need so much to say in order to get to that point. And here we are, three more books after that.
1: Wow. And we didn't get to touch base on the last book, but um, this one, the topic really, really, really spoke to me. And as soon as you announced it on the socials that you were writing a book about this without even reading it, I was like, oh, we have to have this conversation. So tell listeners a little bit about what this book is about and we'll go from there.
2: Sure. Well, the book ultimately is looking at the question, are we alone? Meaning, is there other intelligence out there or is the human race the pinnacle of intelligence in the entire universe? And this is actually something I've looked at for a while when I first started my journey in 2016. And that was when I went from being purely a materialistic business person who thought life was meaningless. And then I came across podcasts and science in 2016, developed a much more spiritual worldview. And at that time, I was coming across contact with non-human beings all the time that people described. Actually, the first interview I ever heard was with Laura Powers, who was on a health show And she was talking about communications with non-physical beings that she has all the time, and she communicates with them for clients. So this is not a foreign concept for me. And as I started to research more and more, the concept of aliens comes up, meaning beings who live on other planets. Maybe they're multidimensional, but the idea of really advanced intelligences that interact with our civilization. So in some ways, it's not a new topic, but the idea to write a book came about relatively recently. And I can't really explain why. Because in the, in the prior book, I contemplated a little bit, well, maybe our world is being influenced by other beings that we don't see with our eyes. And I left that open a bit. And this was a double click on that kind of idea. So I looked at the full spectrum of types of beings from all different types of encounters. And usually when I come across the term contact, it relates to aliens and UFOs, meaning actual spacecrafts and alien abductions and things like that, which are all topics that I cover. But I also cover other areas of contact, like within near-death experiences, people encounter beings, channeling, psychic phenomena. So really, that's what the book's about, is looking at what's out there and what does it mean. I love that. I love that so much. And for me, I'm
1: someone who's never interested in the alien piece. Like, never... I remember having these philosophical conversations as a child with my father. And he was like, you're not even like curious. And I was like, no, (laughs) like I don't, I don't really care about that. But since I've been doing this work, I've definitely expanded my awareness in that direction. First of all, you know, I also, like Laura Powers, talk to non-physical beings, you know, for my living and uh, for this podcast and for everything that I do. So I talk to my spirit guides and I don't always have a clear idea where the spirit guides come from, but I do have a very innate sense of knowing that we are not the only realm of consciousness of awareness of incarnation of maybe even quote unquote physical though i think physical can mean different things and i think it's it's a particular thing here on earth and i've also started to have clients where i will get a very strong sense that they haven't spent most of their incarnation time on earth but they have incarnated before
0: mm-hmm.
1: Right. So they've incarnated in different realms, or you might say different planets. So this idea has become a little more interesting to me. Plus, I think it's out there just a lot right now. I think a lot of people are identifying themselves as star seeds and a lot of the political stuff that you've covered and a lot of the more conspiracy kinds of things where I don't go very much because it freaks me out. But people talk a lot about that alien piece. So um, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Because what I love about the way that that you work, and I've read most of this most recent book as well, is you really go in for the evidence. You really go in for the science and the support, and you kind of don't leave any stones unturned. So I would love to hear about your process and also kind of what you came up with.
2: Sure. Well, I appreciate you saying that. That's what I aspire to do, but I'm sure there might be things that I missed. I, I really try to be comprehensive and look at the counter arguments and pick the best stuff, especially if I'm writing a book about such a a topic that seems so foreign to many people and really out there. I feel this like sense of obligation to put the evidence forward. And this probably stems from just being in business. And when I wrote my first book, I was still working at my firm. I've since left. So that my thinking at the time was I have to put all the evidence here because otherwise I'll be totally a crazy person to people. So that's like my orientation. Right. You and your listeners, like I'm trying to be as credible as possible with this stuff. And I've been surprised in these areas to find that there's so much research out there and it's not new. And there are tons of people that are doing it, lots of independent areas. And that gets me to the point where I feel like I can write a book. So, with regard to the non alien UFO area, so there's the call the more psychic type phenomena. Okay. Near death experiences, that's something I've spent a lot of time looking at. And I want to start there because there's been so much research done on the topic where a person, let's say, is in cardiac arrest or has some kind of trauma to the body where they're, they're knocked out. Sometimes they're in clinical death, meaning that their brain is either barely functioning at all or it's completely turned off. And yet they have this incredibly lucid experience where they describe it as realer than real, realer than real with no brain. I mean, this is right. crazy stuff. And the most convincing evidence is when they hover over their bodies or hover somewhere else in an out-of-body experience, and they see things which, upon being resuscitated, are validated. So it can't be a hallucination if it's a validated memory from outside their body. So I say all that to say, maybe at least some of these near-death experiences are telling us something about reality rather than something hallucinatory. Now, if you believe what I just said, it's reality to some degree, then we should listen to what happens to people in these experiences. And it's in the millions now because resuscitation technology has gotten better. Before, more people would just die and not come back. And there are ancient cases of it, but many more in the last few decades. Often people describe encountering other beings. So sometimes they're relatives, very often relatives, deceased relatives, but also religious or spiritual beings. Sometimes they'll call them a being of light Right. commonly reported, that was some kind of highly advanced intelligence that they interacted with. And it told them something about their life that was very important. Sometimes it could have to do with their, their soul's heritage. In these near-death experiences, there are even flashbacks and flash-forwards where you see the future. So there's some kind of highly intelligent being that is separate from the individual to the extent that there's separation in the world. Because in the world that we operate, there is separation. I would argue at the highest level, there is none. So in this perceptual reality of separation, there's something else there. So I want to pause on that because I did talk about this in my other books, but that is such a profound idea. There's some other intelligence that actually seems way more intelligent than us. That is there. That seems in many cases to even know us from before, from past lives. That comes up a lot. And I'll just pause there.
1: Yeah. Now you have to remember too, that on this podcast, you are preaching to the choir, you know, my most downloaded episodes or anything that has the word spirit guide in it. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) that seems to be what listeners are already plugged into and tuned into. But I love the fact that what you're out there to do is give some credence to that. Give some credence to people that maybe are like, that's kind of a weird idea, but wait, you know, there's a, there's a cogent argument for why it should be, and there's evidence and support for why it should be. And I love the idea of near-death experience, too, because you have said in, I think, your first and your second book, this idea that if you believe that everything, the materialist paradigm, or you later on called it physicalist, uh, believes that everything emerges from matter, right? So mm-hmm. it's matter first, and our consciousness is just an emergent property of our brain, and when our brain stops working, poof you know, everything goes dark. And when a near-death experience shows you, not only does everything not go dark, it gets brighter. It gets mm-hmm. brighter. It gets clearer. It gets more real. And we start to see things, I think the way that they really are, which means of course, that the brain is not the driving force and that consciousness is the driving force of our experience. And that most likely it is our consciousness that creates matter and not the other way around
2: yes and it recontextualizes the brain the brain under the view you just described which i totally agree with the brain actually gets in the way of consciousness or it processes it in a certain way such that we have a targeted experience in the body but when the brain gets out of the way consciousness is liberated in some fashion so there's this broader reality that's always been there but our perceptual organs of the body block it out right so in the near death experience the blindfold is removed right And then we start to see these non-physical beings. Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) And is this a very common thing? Like most people that have near-death experiences do experience. I mean, we all hear about the tunnel, but the beings is a
2: significant piece as well. Yes, very, very common. So it's not, this is not a fringe thing. This is just part of a traditional near-death experience and it, it can vary. So the type of being involved is described differently. There might be different religious figures. Some people will describe what they call Jesus- or other types of spiritual entities that are described in other traditions. Sometimes they'll just call it a being of light. Sometimes they'll say they encountered God. And it leaves us with many questions about what they're describing. Like, are they describing the same being? Or did they actually encounter different intelligences, like different unique beings? And then if that's the case, why did one person encounter Jesus and someone didn't encounter Jesus? And Jesus is not always encountered in people who had Christian Faiths as they're really so, there's all kinds of complicating factors here. I don't pretend to know what's happening, but this is common knowledge in the near death experience realm that these beings are reported. Wow.
1: And I know for me, because I've actually assisted some people in crossing over consciously, purposefully, the way that I've experienced it and the way it's been explained to me is that our guidance, I believe we all have spirit guides, whatever that is for you, and, and oftentimes our loved ones, and sometimes loved ones in bodies too will either consciously, which has been the case for me, or just unconsciously, and yet we, we still have a part of ourselves that's not in human form, that is super aware, that could do all sorts of cool stuff and is doing cool stuff all the time. You're just not aware of it because you're not, you got the blindfold on, but they will come to be of assistance in the crossing over process. And it's my understanding too, that the crossing over process, it, it depends in part on sort of how aware you are about the process from your human perspective so if you have ideas about how it's going to go and you have some awareness and you have not a lot of fear about it, that will often facilitate a smoother transition. I've also been told if your spirit is hopped in and out of bodies a lot, meaning you've had a lot of human lifetimes, that things tend to go smoother just because you're, you're kind of a pro. Mm-hmm. But we all need or, or many of us need beings to support us in the transition because it's very different when the blindfold is off and it takes a little while to reacclimate to not having a body and not being in human form. So my understanding is these guides and people show up for that transition and they'll show up in whatever form we need them mm. to help us bridge the gap between our human understanding of things and our freer more spiritual understanding of things which can be very jarring to a soul that hasn't, you know, made that transition a lot or leaves in a lot of fear. Or just needs like a little helping hand getting, you know, on the other side of the veil. So that's always been my understanding of the process. Not from any research, just from what I've been shown and what I've experienced.
2: Well, what you described there is what I've come across in my research too, that many people say that the beings encountered or the nature of the experience itself is catered to what the person needs for whatever reason. And so there's an intelligence even behind the whole process, which is mind-blowing, of what's guiding that intelligence to know where your consciousness should go after you're in a physical body. I don't fully know, but on this topic of spirit guides, I want to give an anecdote that's really stuck out with me. Uh, John Mack, who was a Harvard psychiatrist, head of psychiatry at Harvard, Pulitzer Prize winner, he began studying alien abductions from a psychiatric lens, people who claimed they were taken on a spacecraft. And he would use techniques like hypnosis to try to get to the bottom of it. And long story short, he concluded that this was not a, a, a psychotic report, that there was legitimacy to what came across. Okay. But in one of his book called Abduction in 1994, because he's a psychiatrist, these are like case studies, really thick case studies on people that he went through the process with. And there was one of his subjects went through, at, in the hypnosis process, went through multiple past lives too. And the being that was described as an alien being was involved in helping that soul transition from lifetime to lifetime, implying that this quote-unquote alien being was a spirit guide, effectively. So it raises questions as to what are the species that are guiding us? Maybe there are many of them. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's a great one. That is such a good point. And I know that a lot of channels, so people who are able to connect with non-physical beings and then the human (laughs) speaks the non-physical beings words or thoughts or communication through their physical, everyone probably listening to the show knows what channeling is. But anyway, there's a lot of channels, right? That do claim to channel non-physical beings that are aliens from other realms, from other planets. I don't think it's a new idea. And I don't know what you think about this, Mark, but I think it would be almost naive of us to think that we're the, only consciousness, only beings here in this whole ginormous universe, or maybe a little egocentric, um, or maybe a little both, right? I mean, of course, consciousness is everything and everywhere.
2: Yeah. Well, I agree with you. But what I've learned is that there's like a spectrum of the way that people view the world. One end of the spectrum is what we perceive with our eyes is close to reality, or at the most extreme, they will say it is our reality. Whereas other people say that what we see with our eyes is a tiny little sliver. It's like the special case of a much broader case. So your perspective, I agree with, because you're much more on that end where there's a lot more than our eyes see physically, whereas others want to believe what they've directly perceived. And if they haven't directly experienced it, it it sounds too outlandish. And it's probably not your audience, but it's something that I come across a lot.
1: Right. I love what you do because I think, like I said, I have the... Honor of mostly preaching to the choir and I like it that way. But you know, my my choir is small and it's a big world, and we're in a time of great change. So I love the people like you that are saying, I'm gonna preach outside of the choir and I'm gonna, I'm gonna start to show people that might be curious, might have an inkling like you were years ago when you listened to this podcast and you were like, here's this lady, and she's talking about all this weird thing, and she doesn't sound crazy, and I'm intrigued to help those people wake up and say, oh, maybe there is more than what my eyes can see. So I totally honor what you do.
2: Thank you. Well, the challenge with it is that in that process, there are many people who don't like what I'm doing. So there's always the mix <laughs> of people who don't appreciate it. But for those who are impacted by it, like someone like me a few years ago, that's a major life shift. So for me, it's worth it to do it. Yeah.
1: And so I'm going to pivot a little bit because as someone who's never really thought about aliens, never really been very interested in it, except that, you know, through my own work and I've seen, and we'll, we'll talk about that too, because I've seen lifetimes for clients on other planets. So mind blowing, but I have. So that again, I tend to believe what I see with my third eye, with my um, intuition more than anything else nowadays, which is probably backwards for a lot of people. But anyhow, I do have to say that somewhere around the day, it might even been like the very day that I reached out to you to schedule this interview and grabbed your book, I saw a UFO. Yeah, seriously, Whoa. true story. I looked out my window and there were these floating lights over the Pacific Ocean. And I wasn't the only one who saw it either. So other people in San Diego also saw the lights and it was all over Facebook and all over the place. Eventually they were claimed by some kind of military. At first, there's tons of military around here. And at first, everybody was saying, nope, that's not us. Nope, that's not us. And then about 24 hours later, someone, I don't remember who, because I was following it, said, oh yeah, that was us. That was some flare activity or something. I, I actually don't buy it. Yeah. I 100% think that you know my interest in aliens manifested some, because that is, that is how this twisted little brain of mine rolls. But Never in my life, but there it was. So I'm curious to know what you think about that. What what's the research on these spacecraft sighting kind of things? And again, I was talking to a friend and she was like, Yeah, I don't know if I buy that military thing. <laughs> that seems like an easy excuse. So I yeah.
2: could have been. Yeah. Who knows what to believe with the government, although they've been talking about UFOs more in recent days. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, there's there was a congressional hearing recently about UFOs. So this is much more in the mainstream. Wow. Now, whether or not they acknowledge who is operating the UFOs, that's a bit different, but it's it's out there. Uh, people okay. are talking about this in mainstream publications. They're, they're talking about UFOs. And with regard to the synchronicity that you described, this is something that comes up a lot. It's not the first time I've heard something like that, where the topic seems to bring about synchronicity in ways yeah. that I can't really explain. I've never had one of those encounters personally, although... With this research, what I've learned is things can happen beyond what our memory can access. So it's possible, maybe, or maybe there were past lives, I don't know, but nothing that I consciously know about. Now, with regard to the sightings, in the book, I have a whole chapter on this, and I was just shocked to find out how many sightings there there have been throughout the ages, really, even going back to like biblical narratives, Ezekiel's vision. If you read the text of that now, it sounds like he calls it a fiery chariot with creatures. I mean, that could easily be... A UFO oh, yeah. description. There are many descriptions like that, but in the last hundred plus years, there's so many recorded cases. And I cite Richard Dolan very often. He's a, I think, a really good historian period, and he's applied it to UFO research. And it's like amazing to read this guy's stuff because he's treating the UFO field like a historian, which you wouldn't expect. He has these two books called UFOs and the National Security State. They're these two volumes. They're massive. And they just go through, sighting by sighting, of what people describe. Wow. Even some of them in the 1800s, before we had sophisticated flying technology. I mean, there have been more reports since airplanes. Right. And some of them probably aren't actual aliens or UFOs. And some might be advanced military. It's possible. But right there's got to be some. There, there's so many bizarre instances. And I'll give one that has stuck out in my mind. It's called the Rendlesham Forest incident from 1980 where there was a craft reported in the forest and officials went out to see what was going on and they encountered this hovering craft and one of them um, touched the craft. Okay, he went to bed that night and the idea was this was probably not a human craft that was thinking that there was something advanced to it. He went to bed that night and he had these zeros and ones flashing in his mind that he couldn't get out of his mind. Wow. What's going on here? And he just had this urge he needed to write them down. So he filled his journal, 16 pages of these zeros and ones that were in his mind. This is a controversial case that many people debated. And he's been on shows and documentaries since then. And he was on the set of a documentary years later. I think it was like 30 years later. So he had his journal with him and he was flipping through the pages for some reason. And one of the other journalists on the set said, wait, stop at that page. They saw the zeros and ones and said, that's binary code. We need to decode wow. this. <laughs> so oh they, my gosh. they've since decoded it, and it corresponds to coordinates on the planet, like sacred sites. What? pyramids, places like that all over the world. And there was a message too that was kind of vague about the evolution of humanity. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, that they decoded in it. So that when things like that happen, that is very curious. Is it just a military craft, or was there an intelligence somehow interacting with this person?
1: Yeah, that's amazing. And I was thinking about Egypt and I was going to ask you about that because I know that there are some theories or some beliefs that a lot of those sacred sites, you know, there was the the evolution of humanity was guided by beings from other planets, other galaxies that, you know, have had a course in the evolution of humanity. Some for better and some for worse. I know you talk about in your book. And I know that when I traveled to Egypt in 2019, I had very clear memories and experiences of being there, but I also had a sense of something extra human. I remember being at the base of the Sphinx and there are hieroglyphics. And I don't actually think those are the original ones, by the way, but um, I'm not a historian. This was just, but I, I remember being there and having a very clear memory that it wasn't something that you read, it was something that you knew. You put your hand in front of it and that's how you would get the code, get the information. So it was a very different thing and it felt very extra worldly. Like it did not feel like a human thing. And I also had the information that what happened was we had all of these things, but over time when humans kind of took them over, they got watered down. So then it became a language. Then you saw these hieroglyphics and you didn't understand, or no one knew how to interact with them anymore. And so they became more of a language and eventually over time, you know, they became, so it was fascinating, but I had a lot of these kinds of experiences of understanding there was something that was way beyond where, you know, we would understand humanity to be at that time. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if
2: that made sense. It does. And it it aligns with a lot of what I've researched on some of the UFO reports where people have actually seen hieroglyphics that came up all over the place. So So there's something strange. (laughs) Yeah. I don't fully understand it. I I would say we probably don't know our, our true history. That's my current hypothesis that these beings have been involved. When I say these beings, it might be many species of beings who have different intentions. So it's it's hard to lump them all together. Some might be very benevolent, maybe others not so much, some in between. And they right. might literally be different species who have different things they care about. It's very interesting to me that this case was decoded, um, the Rendlesham Forest case, and the decoding showed pyramid sites all over the world. So what's going on on our planet? Is there some like energy portal these places? I don't know. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's oll dot com.
0: These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: But, you know, in my mind, I can't imagine, again, if we are not alone, and I, I don't see why we would be, I can't imagine that there's not going to be some interaction. I also, though I'd like to think Earth is the only place where things ever get wonky, It's possible that this ego thing has been a thing in in other realms as well. And so it's possible, too, right? That, you know, there's a range of energies and a range of forces that are communicating with us all the time. And and some of them are of a higher vibration than others. I would also think that because Earth now has a range of vibrations, that we're going to attract in a range of vibrations of extraterrestrial. And I'm going to use the word support because I think on some level, everything is supportive even when it doesn't feel supportive yes. because I think everything serves the highest cause. But it kind of makes sense to me. It kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. So,
2: And also, if we're in a universe that has such great diversity, we would expect a diversity of beings. And I also wonder if we're a reflection, if we're mirroring each other in some way, Ooh. these beings, because if we're all interconnected, maybe there's something in that, in the, the quantum entanglement If we want to apply that there, I I don't know, but I've, I've often wondered about that because there does seem to be a mirroring.
1: Uh, that makes sense too. Yeah. And you know, whenever we talk about others, there's a mirroring, right? What we see in other people, it's going on within us. So that really resonates. That makes a lot of sense. All right. What else do people need to know about all of this? What, what else surprised
2: you? I was really surprised about the abduction research that this actually happens. And there are different interpretations. Some say it's very negative. The beings do not have our best interests at heart. But others have these extremely positive experiences with the beings where they're healed. Right. But actually being taken aboard crafts, that I wouldn't have necessarily like believed. And I right. started to read... John Mack's work and then started to go down the rabbit hole there and realized how many people are reporting this. And then looking at some of the ancient stories, which some might call mythology, but maybe they're not mythology. Maybe in some cases, they're metaphors. Maybe they're actual literal things that happened to people. But these beings came and then they I mean, abduction has a negative connotation. Sometimes it is negative and traumatic, but other times it's like there's something more mutual that happens. There are many right. debates about this. and th- But this has been reported for a very long time. So it raises the question that you're talking about, the, what is the nature of this interaction between other species and us? And I think at a, at the highest level, that's why I'm interested in the topic. Like at some level, I kind of don't care because we're in our world and we have to do our own thing. And it doesn't take away from the spiritual journey that we're all on individually. That's really key is that we have to be on that. In the last chapter I get in the book, I get into like trying to put it into context. But I also think as part of our spiritual trajectory, it's important to be aware of whatever the truth is. And it's sort of like if you live in a city, you want to know who lives in the city, what areas are not so good, which are the safer areas. It's just part of being a responsible human is to know the truth. And if we are inhabiting a universe where there are other intelligences, I think we need to know that. And that's why these abduction encounters are interesting to me. Right.
1: I think, too, that if people are having these experiences, and it sounds to me that it's almost like a near-death experience where there's a lot of commonalities in the experiences that people who have had them have had.
0: Yeah.
1: And again, you could say, oh, well, that's just because they write it in a book. and But I, I don't think so. I mean, I think when you have these universal things, there, there might be something to it. Again, I like to always take the high road, and I'm sure most of it is benevolent. And I also think, you know, you might not even know if it was or it wasn't, but anyway, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much because as I told you before, it scares me.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, one of the things that people report with regard to near-death experiences, um, Kenneth Ring, who is a psychologist at the University of Connecticut, mostly a near-death experience researcher. And then he decided to compare near-death experience research to UFO encounters and abductions. And what are the commonalities, even though they're very different experiences in terms of the actual specifics of what they encounter. and many people had spiritual awakenings from the UFO encounters. Even if they might say on the surface, this was not pleasant, it opened their reality to something new. And they came back just like a near-death experiencer who had trauma in some way because they almost died, but their life changed. And what he found in comparing these two groups was that two groups, meaning the near-death experiencers and the UFO experiencers relative to control groups, that they became more spiritual, but not more religious that was one of the findings and they also in many cases had a kundalini activation which is a spiritual energy within our body wow so something's going on with this so something <laughs> is
1: definitely going on and then it makes me kind of wonder and you might have been saying this before it kind of makes me wonder okay is this a real thing like a ship shows up you know the way an airplane would you know hover over and like it bends for you this idea of physical mm. and yes. non-physical in the way that we understand it yeah
2: I'm really glad you mentioned that. That's critical. I think it's one of the big misunderstandings in the UFO space because many people will study it just from the materialist view that it's all matter. But this phenomenon has a metaphysical aspect to it. There is material, like there are physical crafts that people observe and stuff that's been collected, like actual material. But there are many cases where that's not the case. So let me start with something that's on the surface, not UFO related, but has a tie that really surprised me. And it's research on the psychedelic DMT, dimethyltryptamine. which is a substance found in nature, actually produced by the body, but it's typically essentially decomposed very quickly. So we're not tripping all the time. But there are things you can do to artificially induce a trip with DMT, where the DMT stays in the body and it's active for much longer. Ayahuasca is one example where you combine a bunch of plants and you drink a brew. It keeps the DMT, which is the psychedelic compound, it keeps it active in the body for hours. Another technique that's been used is uh, Rick Strassman from the University of New Mexico ran a study where he injected people with DMT intravenously. So there was this artificially high amount of DMT in the body circulating. That's a long way of of prefacing what people experienced. They went to other dimensions very often and they encountered beings. Some of the beings they encountered and the experiences are identical to what people talk about in abductions without DMT. So John Mack, the Harvard psychiatrist, actually endorsed Rick Strassman's book. It's called DMT, The Spirit Molecule, because he was seeing this phenomenon too, where maybe their body wouldn't leave, but their consciousness somehow, like an aspect of them, would go somewhere and they would have an abduction-like experience. So it raises questions. What are these crafts? Are In some cases, are they not? physical completely is in another dimension is it a state of consciousness that we're not aware of we think of physical and non-physical and like it's binary but maybe there's different realms of this where there is a shift, but it's in that other dimension
1: right yeah no it's fascinating and physical isn't real anyway is my understanding physical is what our brain has taught us that's the interface that our brain has taught us to understand and to see and but it's not really a thing
2: if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree <laughs> with you. It's an interpretation. That's what I like to call it. It's
1: an interpretation. We
2: perceive things and we say, oh, that's a solid chair over there. Right. But if we actually look at the level of physics, it's mostly empty space. Right. And it's just the way we we will identify it as physical, but really it's not. And, and everything that we call physical is something that has appeared within our consciousness in some way. Every sensation, every perception, what we see, what we hear, it is all experienced within consciousness. So at an experiential right. level, it is all consciousness.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That is so well put. I think about, you know, because one of the things that I used to study back in the day was and teach actually (laughs) is cognitive development, right? So how we understand the world and how how we learn to understand the world, how our brain and our awareness develops. And, um, you know, when I look back at that research, a lot of it is really how we get indoctrinated into this shared consensual reality of the 3D and everything about it. So I think that, you know, brain development really is about locking yourself into
2: the illusion. Yes. And then the society that we're in, our, our surroundings help to imprint. Yes. And solidify those beliefs where to the point where it's very difficult to overcome what we don't even realize our inferences. Right. Because most of the things we perceive about the world, it's just our interpretation and we infer because it's so convincing, but we don't know for sure.
1: Right. Exactly. And beliefs. And I think that the brain wants to just keep reinforcing what it already knows. And I do believe there's change and there's growth and cognitive development shows that, but it's real slow Yeah, <laughs> because I think that the way that our minds like to work is to maintain that stable sense of conceptual reality, right? We want to keep everything in that stable bubble of this is what I know, It's true because I already know it. Let me look for more examples that fit what I know. And so change can be real slow that way, but also it gives us that stable sense of, okay, this is what's real.
2: Yeah, and it's, what you said is so profound, but it's not like in our everyday life, we don't think that way. It's almost a robotic state of just reacting to stimuli and to take the step back like you just done and you've done in your career to really dive into this. It changes the way we look at all behavior because then you can start to realize the causes of, Many things in the world, and even our own individual behavior of where we might be locked into a pattern. Yeah.
1: What do you say? I'm going to pivot again because it's coming through. What do you say to the person who says, like, you know, all these aliens are here and they're messing with the world and we're out of control and like, what do you say to that really fear based approach? Yeah. Because I do think some people are going there. They feel like victims of this phenomenon rather than empowered by it.
2: Yeah, it's important. Well, I think to categorize them as they, with a capital T, implies a uniformity to it. And I think there is a spectrum. So there might be some beings that like to victimize people, that like to inflict harm, and there might be beings that want to protect. Those things can exist. I, I don't really like the victim mentality in any capacity because everything happens for evolution. That's how I see it. So even if something seems like a horrible event, at some level, it's horrible because that's the way it feels, but there's also learning to happen. And if you take that perspective, it changes the way you look at anything that happens in the world. But I don't mean to imply passivity because then you could say, oh, well, I'm just going to sit in my chair and not do anything because it's all for learning. I do think there's a spiritual obligation and responsibility to try to help if there is some negative force. So I would say to people that, that have this view, to try to take the spiritual perspective on it, to look at the higher view of our evolution. It's not uniform. And um, also it's not, it's not so new. Some people might say, oh, the aliens are here and it's just now that they're here. This yeah. has been happening for a long time in some capacity and we're still here. So yeah, I would also say that because all reality seems to be consciousness that we're a part of, the analogy I always use is that we're whirlpools within a stream it comes from Dr. Bernardo Castro. So we're individuals, but we're interconnected at the right. same time that if we're able to shift our consciousness then the external world quote unquote external will shift in some way so the responsibility ultimately does come back to us as much as possible right. now that doesn't mean we should ignore the possibility of negative agendas and things like that i just i agree with you that we shouldn't get stuck in that as the only perspective that there are others out there too and that there are benevolent beings and i which right. i want to talk about in the second to last chapter of the book i talk about the phenomenon of UFOs at nuclear weapons facilities, which has been reported very often. There's a book called UFOs and Nukes, hundreds of pages long that goes through the reports of military officials that describe what happens. And for decades, they're describing these crafts coming. And then the, the nukes are turned on or off by the crafts out of their control. Wow. And what the implication that the author takes, having looked at this, is that the beings are, are warning us, basically, that they're intervening and saying, like, don't mess with this kind of technology. And in the book, I talk about one of the theories behind it. It's a theory. Edward Teller, who was involved in the, the hydrogen bomb, so was very familiar with this technology. He told Philip Corso, who had it, famous UFO related experience. He claims to have been involved in a research and development program within the US government that collected stuff from Roswell in 1947. They were using the technology to actually help industry. So he has since passed away, Philip Corso. but his son conveyed an experience that his father had with Teller. Okay. And Teller told his father, allegedly, that the aliens started becoming more interested in our planet around the time of nuclear weapons development because the explosions impact other dimensions, which has a direct impact on those beings. So out of their own desire to protect themselves, they said, we need to intervene. Like These babies should not be playing with nuclear weapons. So if you you think about those cases, that they're able to change what's happening at a nuclear weapons facility without the control of the people. These things were turned off and on. They couldn't stop it. That means there's something happening, a, a higher power and higher intelligence that's intervening. And in some cases it's benevolent too, to counteract whatever negativity.
1: So now this is getting my brain really going because it occurs to me there's a couple of different things that come out of this. One, we can talk about parallel worlds parallel universes, other realms where people may have varying degrees of amnesia. They may discover us (laughs) before we discover them, but they may have a very similar lens to what human experience has. Don't know, just throwing this out there. And then we may also be talking about really, truly highly more evolved, less veily, less physical, although I don't think that really matters, beings that assist us. So there's probably a range. There's probably everything for like, you can imagine if you are a human being, we get those spaceships on and we go somewhere else and we discover a planet. Like that's going to look real different than, you know, if at the level of our highest spirit guides are are in there playing around, yeah. right? So. I guess too, what I think what I hear you saying, or the possibility is that there's probably a range of non physical beings that are hanging out and playing with Earth. And they probably have different agendas, different backgrounds, different, you know, it's probably a range of things. Yeah.
2: That's what I think. Yeah. And perspectives, which is so cool. And it makes it difficult to nail down this phenomenon because it's so amorphous and multifaceted. I feel like I understand it less in some ways now that I've researched it. It's like, and, and what I've <laughs> learned is that the people who've researched it feel in a similar way that they don't understand it. So that makes me feel a little bit better that no no one really gets it. And to your point about this range of, of types of beings, I like think about it that way too, like a spectrum. Even within our own planet, you could find someone who's completely psychopathic, has no empathy, and you could find someone who's a saint right? and everything in between. So why wouldn't that yep. apply to other species as well? Exactly. Uh,
1: I love this. Okay. Mark, what did we not cover yet that you want to make sure the listeners know about aliens or non-physical contact?
2: Yeah. Well, at the end of the book, I I try to bring it together from a spiritual perspective. And I want to close with that because like, how do we contextualize all of this? And I alluded to this before, the idea that yes, these beings can exist. Maybe they're intervening. And yes, maybe there's a good versus evil thing happening with the spectrum of beings, which is what I think is happening. But it doesn't take away from our own individual spiritual journey. Right. And there can be a tendency to get distracted by stuff like this. And one of my favorite spiritual teachers was David Hawkins, who was a psychiatrist and applied like modern psychiatry to spiritual ego transcendence. He was very hesitant to go in these realms because he said there's this allure of what he called glamorous seductions. Right. You can say, oh, this is so cool. I want to study it because it's cool. And then you forget about your own spiritual development. Right. So it's like, we have to know that this exists, at least from in my view, because we need to, getting to the truth is part of our evolution. And that's important. And we need to know it. And maybe for our own protection, even to know where to navigate in the world, we need to know this stuff, but it doesn't mean that we ignore the spiritual path. Right. So that's what I would say that these things exist. But a lot of the things you, your listeners were probably focused on before in terms of personal development I like to use the analogy from Ken Wilber, the philosopher, waking up, cleaning up, and growing up. That's really what it's, it's all about. That doesn't end.
1: Yeah. And I would discourage people to. For me, good and evil, it's very compelling. Your human mind really likes it. Every story that's out there, every movie that's out there tells us, you know, there's the good guys, the bad guys, be the good guy, fight the bad guy. Uh, but I think that sometimes this good and evil kind of way of doing things, it keeps us in duality. It keeps us in this idea that we're victims or that we're heroes, uh, rather than understanding the continuum of all being and all life and just aligning with your highest purpose and your highest cause and letting everything else flow as it should. When I think for me, the spiritual journey is around just casting that anchor higher and higher. Anchor is a weird word, but (laughs) casting that net or whatever that connection up to my highest self and aligning with that and aligning with that more and more of how I live my life. It doesn't mean that I ignore that sometimes people act like dodos and maybe aliens do too. But what it does mean is I don't look at it as a fight between good or evil, because I think that when you do that, you get locked into something that perpetuates the shadow and takes us away from just understanding our true source of our true powers is aligning with love. So that's what I think.
2: Yes. Well, I I agree with you in many respects. I, I just think at the same time, when there are violations of other people, we have to acknowledge that that exists. Right. And there can be a tendency to ignore that, I found in just some, in certain teachings. And so I try to yeah. highlight the fact that those things do exist and they don't, the darker part of it does not think like an empathetic, normal person. Yes. So by being right. aware of that, we we can try to protect in some way because that's the duality we exist in. We can't ignore. There are just certain factors. And at the same time, holding exactly what you said that we have to move toward the state of what many call unconditional love. Like that's ultimately where it is and acknowledging that we live within duality, but it's within the context of non-duality and it makes no sense.
1: Right. And the more that you align with the unconditional love, the less those things really bother you so much, but that doesn't mean that you don't honor and respect the integrity of everyone's experiences as they're having it. And sometimes I think too, that, Oh, make that go away. You know, doesn't actually make that go away either. Cause it's just a, it's just a more covert version of the fear response. Right. Yeah, for sure. All right. This has been so much fun. So now that I've been having repeat guests, it makes my one question about how do you experience your intuition? I'm, I'm wanting to ask like a follow-up. Okay. So I'm going to see what comes through for you. And the one is how has your intuition grown and developed over the course of, of writing these four books and doing the work that you do?
2: It's developed in that I think I'm more attuned to when something is an intuitive hit okay. versus before I wouldn't have identified it that way. And it's through trial and error. When a new idea comes in or something enters my life, whether it's a book or something that I watch or a person, those things have now happened many more times over a six-year period. And I feel like I'm able to calibrate a bit more and discern what's what. And I'll, I'll get a feeling sometimes when information comes comes into my world that is something I should follow that's important for whatever reason I don't even know why where I know I'm interested in it if there's a feeling that I couldn't even describe to you I couldn't even write it out but now I'm able to identify that a bit more and it's very subtle
1: wow and so because you know it's there you follow it more effortlessly
2: more effortlessly exactly I'll identify it and then go with it whereas before maybe I wouldn't have identified it as clearly so I might have dilly-dallied somewhere else and it's making my process much more efficient
1: I love that. Mark, thank you so much for you and for the work that you're doing and um, the impact that you're having on the world. It's it's truly remarkable. And I'm I'm so glad that you listened to those whispers. And it was a great book. So everybody should grab it and read it and just tell us quickly about all four of your books and then also how people can find you.
2: Sure. Okay. Well, first I want to thank you for having me, Victoria. And thank you for the work that you're doing and your personal transformation to help other people. I, I think it's amazing. So Thank you. I'm totally supportive of your work. Um, My four books are called An End to Upside-Down Thinking. That was the first one, came out in 2018. And that's all about the evidence that the brain does not produce consciousness, the evidence of psychic abilities, the evidence of survival of bodily death and things like that. Second book is An End to Upside-Down Living, which is uh, basically how should we live our lives? The question that I ask is, what is the overall intention of your life? And thinking about, you know, how do we prioritize anything and, and think about values. The third book, An End to Upside-Down Liberty, is applying spiritual principles to economic and political structures. So looking way out in the future, not even anything conceivable today, most likely, how would we structure society differently? And the most recent book, An End Upside-Down Contact, is all the evidence that we are not alone and that this is not a fringe phenomenon, that something real is happening where there's significant interaction between us and these beings.
1: Thank you so much. All right. And I'm sure you can find all these in the regular places you find books. But if people want to interact with you more, where do they find you?
2: My website is my name, uh, markgober.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. All four of my books are on Amazon and they're in hard copies, Kindle and Audible. And also I have a podcast called Where Is My Mind? which features interviews with many of the scientists that I've written about, especially regarding psychic abilities and surviving bodily death, near-death experiences. It's more related to my first and second books, more my first. And that's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the major players. It's called Where Is My Mind? It's eight episodes.
1: All right. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Mark, thanks again. This rocks. I can't wait to read the next one. Do you know what it's going to be or it hasn't hit yet?
2: I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing next because I left my job right before the pandemic. And I, the whole time I've said, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. And now I'm in that position again with, with no clear project that's next other than just researching.
1: It's amazing. And you're getting comfortable there, aren't you?
2: Yeah. Comfortable. But then there's still the discomfort of, of, uh, I used to be a big planner (laughs) and it would be nice to have a, a little more solid ground, but at the same time, when I really think about it, I have a lot of solid ground. So.
1: Right. It's just what solid has changed.
2: Yes. Yeah. It's still an adjustment. Every day is a learning journey.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I hear you. All right. Thank you so much again. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you guys like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you listen to this. Just subscribe, say nice things. It really helps. And we'll see you again soon. Namaste. I hope to see you there. And of course, if you want to learn more about me or the work that I do, please check out my webpage, victoriashawintuitive.com. Thank you so much again, and namaste.
0: Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show.